Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osband, here with my friend, Chabruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachi Ketubot, daf Yotet, page 19. Well, there's a very interesting discussion here about this star amana, this document of trust. And we start off mid Amud Aleph with the statement of Rav Yehuda that he quotes in the name of Rav. I'm a Rav Yehuda, I'm a Rav. Ha-Omer star amana, who ain't no ne'aman. Somebody who says that a document is this star amana, they are not believed. In other words, if somebody claims that the document is a valid document, but no loan actually took place, instead the borrower sort of trusted the lender and gave him a document that eventually he would borrow the money, right? In the future, they're not deemed credible, okay? And essentially what the Gemara does here, and it's too long to read, is it goes through uh, different understandings of how, what does Rav's statement actually mean? And it gives a very clever mnemonic of Siman Ba'esh, right? Which basically is a way to explain what Rav's statement is, um, the, uh, which Rava says, um, and that each one, the, the Bet is Rava, the Aleph is Abaye, and the Shin is Rav Ashi. And each one of them has a different opinion. It's either the borrower talking, the lender, the Adim talking in Rub's statement. But the basic idea is, is that this star Hamana, which essentially would be some type of document or agreement that would be drawn up, is not considered to be like a thing that we really allow. It's not the way that we really do loans. And I want to read this part at the end, which is really what Rav Ashi's statement is, because it frames it in a very different way and it ties it to a pasuk. It really explains what the issue is. So I'm a Rav Ashi Amar. So Rav Ashi says, so Ravashi says that the statement of Rav, that Rav Yehuda quotes, it's the Adim talking, right? It's the Adim who say it's this, a star amana. Right? And so handwriting doesn't come from another place. In other words, they can't prove that sort of their handwriting is elsewhere. So they could sort of claim that this star wasn't really valid, Right. Right. And with regard to what you're saying, why they are not deemed uh, credible, Kahana. It's according to Rav Kahana. I'm a Rav Kahana, and this is the part that's important. Um, Rav Kahana says the following Asur lo adam star amana So Rav Kahana says that it is prohibited. I mean, look at the language here. It's Asur. And so they quote your pasuk, pasuk from Eov. So it's interesting. This is sort of like an example of an asmachta. It's not a deraisa, but they're using the language of asur here, right? It's not from the five books, but this pasuk in Eov from chapter 11, verse 14 says, and let not injustice dwell in your tent. In other words, a person is not allowed to do anything um, that could be used in an unjust way. And so here, if you have this false document, this star amana, which is not really the way we like to do loans, it could allow a lender to collect payment later on because he could say, oh, I had this star amana and I actually lent you the money. And, and the borrower basically has no way to prove that, uh, you know, the borrower basically has no way to prove he actually... Uh, you know, ever received the money or didn't receive the money. But I'm a Rav Shajan. 
this. So Rav Chesa says the name Rav Idi, Shma Mine to Rav Kahana, right? We learned this from the statement of Rav Kahana. Eden Shamru Amna Hayud Devarenu, right? Our statement was was this, uh, the witnesses who said that our statement was uh, was this uh, you know statement of, of trust. Okay, Ain Namanim. We don't we don't believe them. My time. What's the reason? Kaven to Avlahu Avalalo Chatmi. Injust. They couldn't sign a document of injustice. In other words, nobody would sign this to be. So we don't trust anybody who did sign it. I'm a Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. So then Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi comes. Asurlo. Now notice this is an Atana. So it's also interesting. We're sort of toggling between Amraim and Tana. Right, it's prohibited for a person to keep a, a re within his house. Again, they quote this same pasuk. So even if you don't use the document to collect the payment, the concern is that someone will see it and think it wasn't paid back and then demand payment again. Right, and in the West, in Eretz Yisrael, they said in the name of Rav, Right, the Rav Amri im avom biyadacha harchikehu. So here they quote. Right, this is also part of the same pasuk. If iniquity and sin be in your hand, put it far away. And again, zestar amana ustar pasim. This is a document of trust and a document of security. Two different types of documents, which sort of acknowledged a loan was going to happen, but wasn't the actual enactment of the loan itself. The altas came to Allah avla zestar parua. And the let not injustice dwell in your tents. This refer, refers to a repaid document. And so again, the whole point of this is supposed to be is that essentially, you know, we are we have to be careful with loans, and we have to really be careful with the documentation that we have with loans. And we're not allowed to sort of create these documents where there's like an intention of lending, or that you hold on to a document that something was paid back but it's not clear that it was paid back because all of these are things that could lend. I guess I used to pun here. All of these are things that could lead to, you know, somebody having to pay back money that they didn't actually own. Um, and I think it's very interesting where it's sort of, I, I think what the Amorayim and Tanayim are doing here is they know something should exist within the lending world, right? Within the system of lending money it's not a deal, right? So it's not in the five books, but they find this pasuk in Eob to basically say this is a type of injustice, that financial crime, right? Or not having financial clarity is really a type of injustice. And I, to me, this really spoke to me because unfortunately, I do think we see in our community a lot of financial crime. And I don't know that we always treat it as seriously as we should. And when you see these pages of the Gemara here, you see that like even the idea that you could hold on to a document that could potentially be misleading, even though the borrower and the lender and witnesses signed it willingly with good intention, even that is considered something that's not really acceptable. And I think it needs to make us think about like other types of financial crime. So I've been trying to come up with a, I've been trying to come up with a, the comparable or the parallels in, I don't know, in American law or, or just the contracts that we know and how they work. And I guess this goes to show that I'm not a contract lawyer and nor am I even a notary, right, to be able to establish all of these things. But that point, I think, is the way I relate to these things, right? Ashtar Amana is like a, a document of good faith, right? It's a, it's a commitment to good faith. And the teeth of that are zero, 
right? Like there's no, there's no binding nature to a say that, you know, it's the way that the Gemara goes on and talks about, um, you know, if you have a document that you have witnesses that can attest to the signatures, okay, so then what you've done is you've notarized your document, right? Like you can, you can say, yes, these are the people who signed it, but still, Ashtar Amana, and again, there may be implications that I, that go beyond what we're talking about today that I'm, you know, as yet unaware of, so I don't want to say this too broadly, but the difference between I owe you thus and such a, you know, I'm not really saying this here, Dana, I'm just, you know, giving a hypothetical, but let's say, you know, I owe you thus and such a money and due on thus and such a day. And if I don't pay you back on this time, then I have to do whatever, right? That I have to clean your house. Then, then that's a document that can, if it's wit, if it's signed and everything like that with witnesses, then that could have teeth as opposed to a, a statement of good faith that like, Yes, yes, of course, I'll pay you back. Don't worry. And, you know, it would feel terrible if somebody kind of ignores that and doesn't act in good faith, but there's still no teeth to that kind of document. Right, exactly. It's it, That's the idea. Not only, But it's not just that it's no teeth. It's also it can hurt a person. And that's really what the problem is. Right, right, because it's potentially misleading. Right, exactly. Um, I don't know. I was just struck by how strong the, the language is strong on the dots. It's really strong. Yeah. Yeah. I think that Chazal cared very much about um, what's the right term? Upright dealings in business. Yes. And I, a, a lesson to be learned for us, but I'll get off the soapbox. For the rest okay. I'm going to jump down. I'm going to jump down to the, almost to the end of the daf where we have um, a new case. I mean, it's still talking about witnesses and, and documents, right? It's a brighter. We have two people who are witnesses who were signatories on a particular document and then they died, right? Of course, the problem is that now they cannot attest to the fact that they signed this. But so it's a, two people came, strangers, meaning they came from the market, right? That's they came from the shuk. What does it mean they came from the shuk? It means that like from left field, nobody knew who these people were. And they say, we know that this is their handwriting. So if you don't know who those people are who are attesting to the handwriting, it doesn't necessarily help you. It doesn't necessarily help the people who need to know, but fine. They come forward and they say, we know that this is their handwriting. They have more to the story. And they say that these witnesses who signed the document really were coerced when they were signing it. Or or meaning whatever it is that these strangers from the shuk have to say, they say, yes, that is their signature, but they were coerced or they were not really ed- eligible to be signers on the document to begin with because either they were katanim, right? They were minors or they were um, invalid for, for giving testimony, meaning for whatever it is that their status was, just because this is their signature does not mean that you should count on it. It's really what these people are saying. And the Gemara here says that these strangers are considered credible. They are to be believed. Why? And the the commentaries explain, right, that if you recall your data, you explained this the other day, right? The idea that right, the, the same people who are coming to say, yes, yes, these are their signatures, are the very same people who are saying, 
but they really you can, you really can't count on this. Meaning, once they say the one statement that you want that you're going to trust, then you because of the fact that they're fundamentally contradicting each other, and they don't have to, right? They could have just said, "No, that's not their signatures," right? And then everybody would say, "Oh, it's not their signatures." Okay, we go home. And so the fact that they say, "Yes, that is their signature," but they didn't, they they weren't really eligible to sign, means that they're that much more reliable. They're much that much more believable because they they are presenting more than they needed to, and they could have just gotten out of it altogether. Um, meaning they could have like you know undermined the whole document without saying that yes they recognize the handwriting. And then the imyesh edim shakatav yadam huze oshayak tav yadam yotzei makom acher mishtar shakara alav ar er sorry ar ar. So if there are witnesses, what happens if there are other witnesses who come along and say, yes, that is their witness, their handwriting? Or you see that you could see their handwriting on some other documents, right? Like you find it on their term papers or on their checks or whatever, right? And you, or you find it on some other document that was actually raised, challenged in court. And that was deemed valid. <laughs> then these witnesses from the Shuk are not considered credible because their testimony has nothing to do. It, it's no longer potentially undermining the validity of the document because there is an external source that's corroborating that this is the people's handwriting. So the fact that they come forward to say that is their handwriting is no longer meaningful because the assumption, I guess, is that they knew that that the that the court could find out that it was their handwriting anyway, in which case how is that reliable? They're not, they're just saying what everybody else knows anyway. And then when they say, ah, but they were coerced, that's like, it's like starting fresh. It's not starting with something that they came forward with that they didn't need to say. They needed to say that that was their handwriting because other people already knew that. So the Gemara goes on. Umagbinan Bey Kibishtar Ba'alia. So if the testimony of these witnesses is not to be accepted, then what are you going to do with the document itself? How can you go and collect any debt that that document speaks to? If it's, you know, is it a valid document or is it not a valid doc document? Va'amai, treu, treininu. And the Gemara says, well, it should be, you should be able to treat it as a valid document because there are two signatories. I mean, there are the two people who signed. The fact that they are no longer alive doesn't matter. At the time that they signed, it confirmed that this is a valid document. And then you've got another two witnesses from the marketplace who come and, you know, perhaps they're invalidating the document. Uh-oh, right? So that's the problem. Meaning the moment you have these witnesses in the status of them being believed, not when they're not being believed, then what they've done is they've confirmed those the signatures and document as a means of collecting payment. So I would say this actually goes on into the next stuff, but I think that the point here is that, um, again, I would say this is the great care that you're talking about your Dana, because, you know, the witnesses are not, are no longer around to be able to confirm the real story. So now people have to kind of scramble to figure out what's really happening. Did they mean to sign? Was it under duress? Were they eligible to be witnesses? And so on. And all of that is really about, well, can that document be used? Meaning not a star amana, an actual document with 
with um like I say with monetary terms IOU and so on can it be can it be used and if those marketplace witnesses invalidate the document that has real repercussions you know true or not right and that's the tricky part yeah. So, you know, I think we're seeing a whole new area of halakha, which we'll see much more when we get to Nazikin. But again, fascinating to see how it comes out of Ketubot. Um, But, you know, this is really an, a, a doc that deals with, you know, the meticulousness that is required in uh, financial halakha. That's why I would summarize it. <laughs> I think that's well said. I, I think, and and it's not for nothing, meaning the same way that we have really careful attention of detail to areas of Kodesh and areas of Kashrut, so too we need it in areas of Mekah Umemkar, excuse me, business dealings. Well, that's our top discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. Thank you.